Rejoicing in effective gospel partnerships. Rejoicing in effective gospel partnerships. Now, our text for today is, is Philippians 1, verses 1 through 11. And to give you a little bit of context to the church at Philippi, I want to give you a little bit of background. Philippi was a Roman colony that was located on the northern edge of the Aegean Sea, in modern day, the northern edge of Greece. And it was located on a major highway that traveled between east and west. And it was located in the Roman province of Macedonia. And so it was a very prominent city there. Now, prior to going to the city of Philippi, Paul had been traveling all throughout regions of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And as he was going to different places, he was sharing the gospel and he was preaching the good news of Jesus. And as he was doing so, in Acts about 16, he starts to be guided by the Holy Spirit to no longer go into certain regions. And so Paul is curious as to where is God leading him. And while he's at a location named Troas, he has a vision at night from God. And he sees a man from Macedonia coming to him saying, please come to Macedonia and help us. And Paul knew where the Lord was leading him next in ministry. He traveled to Macedonia and he suspected that there was a place of worship for maybe some Jews by the river. And as he went there, he made a connection with a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple goods. And he shared the gospel with her and she was the first convert to Christ in Europe on Paul's missionary journey there. And later on, they encountered some opposition to Paul's ministry as they were in the city of Philippi. And he was actually arrested with Silas, who was with him. And while they were in prison at night in the Philippian jail, God did something. He sent an earthquake, and it so rattled the jail that all of the prison cells were opened. And the Philippian jailer rushed in to see what was taking place. And as he rushed in, he saw that all of the doors were open. And he thought to himself, this is not good because guess what the penalty was for losing a prisoner at that time? Death. And so the Philippian jailer drew his sword about to take his own life when Paul called out, do not harm yourself, we are all here. And the Philippian jailer rushed into Paul and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? He noticed that these men had something different and he wanted to be a part of it. And that day he came to Christ and his entire household as well. Now, that was the background for how the church was born, but you might say, well, where do we get the book of Philippians from? If you fast forward in time, after Paul has left Philippi for an amount of time, and he is now under house arrest in Rome. And the Philippians had heard of his troubles and his difficulty, and so because of that, they sent a man named Epaphroditus to bring gifts and needed supplies to Paul as he was in a challenging circumstance. And in response to that messenger Epaphroditus, we get the book of Philippians. Now, with that background in mind, I invite you to pray with me as we ask God to bless our time this morning and we get ready to dive into his text. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word, Lord. How blessed it is for us when we meditate on it, Lord. We're like uh, the man in Psalm 1 who is blessed and, be, and nourished, Lord, by it. I pray that you would allow us to gain insights, Lord, from your word and that you would allow it to touch our hearts and to edify our minds and that we might grow and come to know you more this day, Lord Jesus. I pray that you would help us, Lord, during this season, Lord, with COVID, that we might draw closer into you and not drift farther apart from you. And I pray that ultimately you would be glorified in this sermon and that our people would be edified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The word of God says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints who are in Christ Jesus at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I thank my God in all of my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord this morning. Now, as we begin our study rejoicing in effective gospel partnerships, you might ask the question, what is the basis for these partnerships? What's the basis for that? And the answer to that is our first point this morning. Our first point is this. Effective gospel partnerships are grounded in the gospel. Effective gospel partnerships are grounded in the gospel. This comes from verses 1 and 2 and verse uh, 5 as well. Now remember, Paul had been traveling all throughout the eastern Mediterranean world, and he was bringing the gospel of Christ with him. And he had traveled to multiple cities. He had been to places like Thessalonica and Berea and Athens and Corinth and Ephesus and Philippi. And he is writing this again while he's under house arrest in Rome. And yet the, the letter that he is addressing is to the Philippians, but not just the Philippians in general, but to all the saints at Philippi. And you might say, well, what's such a big deal? Why are you drawing emphasis to the fact that he's writing to the saints as well as the elders and the deacons? Well, because the Philippians, yes, they had partnered with Paul financially and materially in ministry. But that wasn't the foundation of their partnership with them. No, instead, look with me again at verse 5. Paul says this, Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And the word partnership that we render in English comes from the Greek word koinonia. And that means to have something in common. Sometimes we translate it with the word fellowship. And so when he says that there is a partnership, they have something in common together. But you might say, well, what is it that they have in common? Because they're in two different places. Paul's under house arrest, and they're back in Philippi. They're not from the same occupations. Paul is a tent maker by trade, the scriptures tell us. And the Philippians come from numerous different occupations. So what is the thing that they have in common? What they have in common is a common faith in Christ. A partnership in receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ. The fact that we are sinners. That God sent a savior through Jesus Christ. And through him, we can be forgiven of all of our sins and have eternal life. But this basic truth in the gospel is something that is applicable to us today as well if we repent and we believe in Jesus Christ. When I was six years old, I was growing up in a Christian family, and I remember vividly being in the second story of my house with my mother and my sister. And I remember at that time, I had been reading and looking at the story of the Pilgrim's Progress. And if you've read that before, you know that it's about a man with a burden, but not just general life, but rather the burden is sin. And at six years old, I didn't have a perfect understanding of the gospel, but I knew the basic truth that I was a broken person and that in my heart I was rebelling against God and that I was sinning against him. And because of that, I needed to be forgiven of my sins. And I prayed, Lord Jesus, would you forgive me of my sins 
Would you cleanse me of my unrighteousness? And would you be the Lord of my life? Would you come into my life and be the Lord of it? And that basic time, that basic truth became real to me as I accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ at six years old. And the Philippians were partners in Paul's ministry because of their common faith in Christ, not because of proximity or personality or preference. And that's why Paul is able to write to the Philippians in verse 7 saying this, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace. Salvation is by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 tells us this. And yet there is a deep connection that happens between believers and Jesus Christ. There's times where maybe you have been in a situation and you meet someone new. And you don't know exactly what, but there's something different about this person. And perhaps later you come to find out that they're a believer in Jesus and there is some kind of connection between the two of you. I'll never forget when I was in middle school, I had a very good friend named Jordy Roberts. We were as thick as thieves, and if you think back to your time maybe in your schooling days, you might have had close friends and connections as well. And yet when we were in middle school, he actually had to move away to go back to North Carolina, and I remained in Arkansas. And just this past year, we started to reach out to each other by phone again and started to catch up on life and started to interact a little bit. And the thing that started to bring us closer and closer was not the fact that, yeah, we did a bunch of stuff and had a lot of good memories together, but rather that at this point in our life, we were both striving to seek out after God to the best of our ability by God's grace. And as we were both seeking God, the Lord brought our friendship back to what it had been in the past, not because of common interests, not because of proximity, not because of our personalities being the same, but rather the fact that we were united in the gospel was the connection. Our common faith in Christ is what drew us together. And even when I first came to New Jersey, I didn't grow up here in New Jersey with amazing bagels and good Italian food. I missed out on that. But when I came here, I came here and I was warmly welcomed by you, even though I have a different personality than many of you. In fact, I might be different than most of you. But not only that, but I might have different preferences. Some of you might like the Mets or the, um, the uh, Yankees, or you might like any number of teams that I'm not in favor of. But the basis for our friendship and our connection isn't based off of our preferences in sports. It's not based off of our proximity, where we live. And it's not based off of our personality either. I'm not only friends with you because we're the same Myers-Briggs. Instead, our connection is foundationally based on the gospel and our common faith in Christ. And that is a strong connection between brothers and sisters in Christ. Reason being, Hebrews 13.8 says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus does not change. Our preferences for certain things can change. Our proximity, we might move or go to different places and that might change. And what our personality is, that might change as well. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if our connection to other believers is based on him and his truth and his gospel, then it is able to endure and remain resilient through many challenges because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We're not gathering as a church today in the, in the sanctuary, but when you're here, you might look across the aisle and you might notice that there's someone there that apart from coming to church, you might not have had the opportunity to cross paths with. They might be different than you. They might be similar to you. But the thing that unites us is not our personality, not our proximity, and not our preferences. 
but rather our common faith in Christ because that can bring together us from all different backgrounds, all different experiences, and all different locations. The body of Christ. And yet, while effective gospel partnerships are grounded in the gospel, that does not mean that that is the only aspect of their partnership. And that brings us to our second main point this morning. Our second main point this morning is this. Effective gospel partnerships are mutual in their care and affection. Effective gospel partnerships are mutual in their care and affection. This comes from verses 3 through 4 and 7 through 8. Verse 3 says this, Paul writing to the Philippians, I thank my God in all of my remembrance of you, in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. You can see from these verses how close Paul was to the Philippians in his interactions with them. And Paul was a man who bore the constant concern for all the churches on himself constantly. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul outlines many of his different sufferings as an apostle. And he lists many different things. He lists some things like, Five times I, was be- I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, and he goes on and he on and on. But at the end of that section, you know what he says? He says this, and apart from all other things, there is present tense, there still is present tense, a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all of the churches. Paul isn't just saying that I'm nervous for things of the churches. He cares for them, and he wants them to succeed. He is thinking through, even if he's not there, the churches, their needs, their shepherds, their context, their congregants, their obstacles, thinking about all those things because even if he is not there with them, he knows that he is going through all of the, that they are going through all those things. He does not do this because he's trying to get a paycheck either. Paul's not working in this for money. He's not doing this to please other people. He's not trying to please men, but rather please God. Nor is he doing this because he wants to try to rival other super apostles or other general apostles like Peter or men like Apollos. But rather he is concerned because of what he writes in verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, the Philippians, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Paul wants to ultimately glorify God, and yet when he is concerned about the Philippians, that is his motivation for caring for them. And yet, you might say, okay, well, Paul obviously cares for the Philippians. What about the Philippians caring for Paul? Is it reciprocated? Do they also care for Paul? And if we look at other sections of the book of Philippians itself, we can see how the church at Philippi felt about the Apostle Paul. Philippians 2.25 says this, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. Remember that the Philippian church was the one who sent Epaphroditus while he was uh, uh, to Paul, while he was under house arrest in Rome, far away from them. He was not nearby, and they sent Epaphroditus to help him and to bring support. And he writes again of this in Philippians 4.18, saying this, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. 
And you might say, okay, well, is this something that the Philippians did once? Just so that they can say, hey, we, did, we supported our missionary or our founder one time. But no, this has been something that has been going on for a long time because Philippians 4.15 says this, and you Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel, when, when he first left Macedonia, no church entered into the partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. The Philippians entered into supporting Paul long before he was under house arrest. And yet when the Philippians cared for Paul while he was in Rome, they subconsciously were being obedient to what Hebrews 13.3 says. Hebrews 13.3 says this, Remember those in prison. Remember those in prison as though, or, as though in prison with them. And those who are mistreated, since you are also one body. If you've been with us in our previous uh, sermon series that we're going through right now, we're walking through the book of Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians 12, it mentions that if one member of the body suffers, all suffer together. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together. Because we are the body of Christ, and what happens to one of us does affect others, whether in large ways or small. And this is something that is not present in every single gospel connection. Not everyone is mutually affectionate and caring for each other. But when we are, it is particularly powerful and particularly effective in ministry. And to help illustrate this, I want to share with you a background for one of our missionaries. If you can see, if you've been with us before COVID happened or even now, we have several different flags up on the walls. And those flags represent missionaries that we have that are all across the world, spreading the gospel from one side of the earth to the other. And one of the missionaries is Finn and Sandy Torgerson. And you might know them, but you might not know how their family began their work in China. It goes back to Peter Torgerson, Finn's grandfather. And on their ministry website called Evergreen, you can find this. It says this. When Finn's grandfather, 18-year-old Peter Torgerson, heard the call to China to do missions work in China, he not only emptied his wallet into the collection plate, but he included a small note with three words, and my life. He was indicating that he's not just giving money towards this, but says, I want to go and give my life to go do missions work in China. And a few years later, him and his wife, they traveled to a country that was about to be sucked into the maelstrom of war and revolution. And Peter, whose Chinese name meant leaf evergreen, kind of like an evergreen tree, he was, and him and his wife, they opened up during World War II their church and their home premises to accept up to a thousand refugees who were fleeing from the Japanese as they were attacking cities and civilians and soldiers in China at that time. And prior to opening up their home, they had done work in China for 20 years, planting churches, doing medical work, and developing different work in the province as well. 20 years. They had not there for a short amount of time, but they were enduring work in China for the half of bringing the gospel to the Chinese people. But sadly, in 1939, Norwegian missionary Peter Torgerson was killed by a Japanese air raid and bombing raid that happened in Shanxi province. It was a tragic end to his life, but it wasn't the end of the story. Because you see, in 1988, local officials from the province informed the Torgerson family that Peter Torgerson's name was on the role of the People's Martyrs, a group of people that they were going to honor from the national organization. And they wanted to erect a monument to 
Peter Torgerson at the 50th anniversary of his death. And three generations of the Torgerson family gathered for, that, for the unveiling in 1990. They saw a marble monument with the name of their grandfather as well as golden characters in Chinese describing his life and work. And on that occasion, a request was made to Finn, Peter's grandson. Finn, who had previously had facility in the Chinese language and extensive international experience, was invited to return to Shanxi province in the spirit of his grandfather, Peter Torgerson, continuing the work in helping the region deal with its social and economic needs. The Torgerson family graciously accepted the invitation to do work in a country that is not known were openly inviting Christians to come and work inside of their borders. And today their ministry is fittingly called Evergreen in honor of Peter Torgerson. You see that the love and care and affection that the Torgerson family had for the Chinese people was well regarded and opened up massive opportunities for the gospel to be effective there in years far past Peter's own lifetime. Peter emulated what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2.8. 1 Thessalonians 2.8. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Why? Because you had become very dear to us. In doing this, they were fulfilling what Christ said in John 13 when he gave them a new commandment. He said, Jesus said this, I new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. For by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The love that the Torgerson family had on behalf of the Chinese people, even if they weren't of the same ideology, noticed was noticeable to the Chinese officials, so much so that they wanted to bring them back to China. And yet, effective gospel partnerships that are mutual in care and affection is something that we should strive to apply here as well, because not all of us are, are going to go overseas as missionaries. How are we doing? Are we loving our brothers and sisters in Christ? Are we genuinely concerning ourselves for their well-being? Are we willing to assist, encourage, bless, and even, yes, at times, Forgive one another. And when it comes to interacting with missionaries and gospel partnerships overseas, there's a difference that can happen when a response comes in from a missionary in need. Hearing that maybe their host country is in turmoil, the people are rejecting the gospel, and that their personal family is encountering hardship. There's a difference between letting that pass by in our hearts and saying, I want to commit to be a prayer warrior with them on their behalf because when I go to sleep at night, this problem leaves me but it keeps happening for them until God intervenes. And that's why people, a lot of times, they'll send emails or care packages or prayer letters to other missionaries to try to encourage them and bless them and partner with them. But even here in our own congregation, these are opportunities for us to show mutual care and affection to other believers in Jesus Christ. We can ask people how you're doing and stay to hear the response and care for them. Now, a quick disclaimer, because we can easily misinterpret this. This doesn't mean that in order to genuinely love others in Christ, that we must visit every single gospel missionary on the face of the earth. That's not what I'm saying. Neither does it mean that we have to know every single detail about every single person in the congregation. 
But what it does mean is that when we do interact with those around us, we should care about them, genuinely. And as we do that, we will have an effective gospel partnership with brothers and sisters in Christ. However, effective gospel partnerships also have a goal in mind in addition to mutual care and affection. And that brings us to our third and our final point this morning. Our third and final point this morning is this. Effective gospel partnerships seek spiritual maturity. Effective gospel partnerships seek spiritual maturity. This point is expressed by Paul in verse 6 and verses 9 through 11. Verse 6, Paul says this, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You notice that here in this verse right here, Paul is speaking that God is the one who has begun a good work in us. He is the one, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, God sends his Holy Spirit to indwell in us in that moment. And in that moment, we are forgiven of all of our sins, and we are counted righteous before God. But our lives are not yet perfect. And what we do and what we say, we are still a work in progress. And God starts to sanctify, to clean up the sin in our lives and make us more and more like Jesus and less and less like our own old selves. And yet, apart even from a final day of being perfect with Christ, Paul also prays a hope for what the the sanctification of the Philippians will lead to. And that comes from verses 9 through 11. Verse 9 says this, Paul speaking to the Philippians. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Notice that the apostle is not satisfied with where the Philippians are at. He's not there to just criticize them. But what he's saying is, though, even though they're maybe better than maybe the Corinthians, he still wants them to strive for spiritual maturity. And he shares with them what he is praying on behalf of the Philippian church. He doesn't want them to just have love, but love that is wise and not naive, that has discernment and knowledge in it as well. And also at the end of the book of Philippians, Paul expresses his desire for what he hopes the Philippians will continue to do in growing as they pursue Christ. Philippians 4.8 says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything of excellence or anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Because even as Paul is delighting and rejoicing in the Philippians and the partnership he has with them, he still wants them to go on to seek spiritual maturity in Christ in what they do day in and day out. Jesus spoke in John 15 of how we're supposed to do these things. Because the way that we grow in Christ is not just saying, I'm going to try harder, but rather by abiding in Christ. Jesus spoke of this in John 15. He said this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. For apart from Christ, we and do nothing. And this is a different section of Scripture than the Philippian epistle, and yet it is still a good thing to keep in mind as we seek to grow in Christ. 
Because the way that we grow in Christ is not by just trying harder in our life, but by seeking Jesus more. And yet, just because we've been in Christ maybe for a long time, doesn't mean that we are growing in in our uh, maturity in Christ. Being in Christ for a long time means that you've been in Christ for a long time. But there's a difference between that and spiritual maturity. And in order to illustrate that, I want to compare the section of Scripture with another one from Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews writes in a, very, in a very similar way to the Philippians. And in chapter 5, verse 12, the writer of Hebrews says this to his audience. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the elementary principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Notice the parallel wording that's similar to the end of Philippians. That your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You see, spiritual maturity is what the Apostle Paul is desiring to take place in the Philippians. He wants them to go on and to be more mature in Christ. And yet, that is something that doesn't just happen naturally or overnight. It happens as we continue to pursue Christ. Many of you watching online might be parents. And if you're a parent, you might remember when your kids were small. Or if they're with you and they're small right now, they're cute, but you're probably trying to keep a handle on all of them at this time. And when kids grow up and they become mature and they become successful, that's a cause to rejoice. But maybe, just maybe, at times you might say, I I really wish that I could go back to when they were small, to when they still were like a child and still looked up to you. And even if you have that desire as a parent, that doesn't mean that you don't want them to go on to spiritual maturity or to maturity in their life or to be successful, but rather you just relish that moment. And Paul is similar to a spiritual father to the Philippians. He's not God the Father, but he is the one who brought the message of the gospel to Philippi and helped to found the Philippian congregation. And he is separated from them now. And he desires for them to go on to spiritual maturity and to be successful in Christ whether he is with them or not. In the same way that if you're a parent, you want your kid to go on and be successful, whether you're there for every single moment or not, because you want them to succeed in the same way that Paul wants the Philippians to succeed in Christ. And yet this same goal for spiritual maturity is applicable to us today. It means that in our actions with others, we should have their best interests in mind. It means that other believers are not just tools that we use for, fla- for favors, but instead are saints continuing to be sanctified for God's kingdom and his glory. That means that as we seek to help others grow in Christ, we should be patient with them as God has been patient with us as we grow in Christ. That means that we should pray on behalf of others and not merely just our own, because at this time and at all times, there's needs that people have. And this is a wonderful opportunity for us to reach out to others and to see how we can pray and bless them and encourage them amidst this season where we don't get to see many face to face. And it means that as Christ humbled himself to serve others, we should seek to do the same. Because if Christ put on flesh and became a man and died a criminal's death on the cross, 
That means at times that we should seek to serve one another, even if it seems below our quote-unquote spiritual pay grade. And this means that we must also realize that none of us are complete in our spiritual journey towards spiritual maturity until we are with Christ. And that while we interact with people here in this life, we should interact with them full of grace and full of truth. It doesn't mean that we never call one another out when we are in error or in sin, but it also doesn't mean that we're heartless legalists as we do it, because Jesus came full of grace and full of truth, and they call us Christians because we want to follow after Christ in what we do. And yet, a lot of times when we think about being a mature Christian, we might think, you know what, I would love to be there, but I would love to not do anything to get there. Because a lot of times we have this idea that Christian maturity, as we draw closer to Christ, isn't as fun as maybe what we could do in our own time and our own decisions. And instead, we should understand that the more mature we are in Christ, the more satisfied we will likely be in him. The more mature we are in Christ, the more and more we will begin to resemble him in what we say and think and do and less like our own sinful past. The more and more we are mature in Christ, the more we would like to emulate Christ in what we do and how others perceive us. And the more mature we are in Christ, we should strive to less advocate for our own agenda in life and rather say, what is God's agenda for me in my life? Remember from 1 Corinthians, let each person live the life that God has assigned them. You are not your own, you were bought with a price. What is God calling you to do in your life? And how can we help other brothers and sisters follow what, not what we hope for them in their life, but rather what God has purposed for them to do with their life, to honor God as well? And yet, as we believers participate in effective gospel partnerships, whether it's here in the church or whether it's with missionaries overseas and throughout the church or overseas, we must remember that effective gospel partnerships are grounded in the gospel itself, not proximity, where you're living, not personality, or preference, but rather it's foundational on the gospel itself. If a missionary came to us and said, hey, I'm no longer worshiping Christ, that would be a problem because our foundation for our partnership is grounded in the gospel of Jesus. We must also remember that effective gospel partnerships are mutual in their care and affection and that we should seek to obey Christ's commandment to love one another and be known by it. Because like Peter Torgerson, when he lived and loved the Chinese people, other people said, even if I'm not a Christian, there's something different about you. And in that moment, there was an opportunity to share what made us different. We don't just do things differently because we're good people. Rather, because Christ has transformed us that is how we are able to live differently. We give glory to God in what we do, not by just a different set of morals that we hold to. Because I don't know about you, but the reason I'm being transformed day in and day out is because of Christ, not because of Jason. And finally, we should remember that effective gospel partnerships seek spiritual maturity with the final reward being with Christ for all eternity. While we're here in this life, God wants us to grow more and more like him and to flourish and to do what is acceptable and perfect in his will. And yet one day we will be fully mature in Christ as we are with him for eternity. And as we seek to have effective gospel partnerships here in this life, we will have a reason to rejoice. I hope that you will pursue that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that you are at work in great and powerful ways. I pray that you would be the one to work in us, Lord, because we cannot change ourselves by just trying harder in life, but rather we want to seek you and draw closer to you and delight in you more and more. And God, there's times where we know that we need to grow in you. We know that we need to draw closer to you, but maybe our hearts have trouble. 
And so, Lord, I pray that you would morph our hearts to have a desire to seek you and to honor you in all that we say and do and think here in this life. And I pray, Lord Jesus, for anyone listening here, Lord, or online or on the podcast that doesn't yet know Jesus Christ, that they might know that this is not an exclusive group just for the super holy, but that the church is a hospital for the hurting, and that Christ's offer of salvation and forgiveness for our sins, which are, are, will bring us judgment, can be forgiven if we repent of our sins and believe in Jesus Christ. Lord, we can repent and turn from our sins. That means to do a 180 and to instead of seeking ourselves, we seek salvation in the Savior Jesus. And so if you're right there at your home or you're listening to this and you want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you can pray with me. Lord Jesus, forgive me for I'm a sinner. And I know that I have wronged you and rebelled against you. But I want to surrender my life to you. I believe in you, Jesus Christ, that you are who you said you were, that you are the Son of God, that you died on the cross for my sins, and that you rose victoriously, and that you offer your salvation to all people. Lord, I surrender my life to you and confess you as Lord and believe in you with my heart and help me to live for you for the rest of my days. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen and amen.